0: The uh, first scripture reading is taken from the 28th chapter of Jeremiah, verses 5 through 9. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words that you have prophesied and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. But listen now to this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace When the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. The word of the Lord.
1: Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Matthew, the 10th chapter, verses 40 to 42. Let's listen again for a word from God. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes the prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple. Truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Will you pray with me? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable here in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it was not a great news week. Uh, At least it wasn't a great news week for me. It's been kind of a mixed bag of a June, I would say. Uh, And as as I thought about this text in Jeremiah really wanted to find like a good funny story about someone hearing what they wanted to hear and that coming to a hilarious conclusion. I spent a lot of time looking for that story on the internet and when I woke up this morning I was reminded that sometimes you have to preach with the newspaper in one hand and the gospel in the other and that maybe I just had to kind of face the world head on. So what I was reminded of when I looked at the Jeremiah story is that we are on the precipice of heading into a season where people are going to be making us a lot of promises, making a lot of public proclamations and a lot of promises about what they're going to do for us, about the world they're going to make for us. And the stakes are really high, or they feel high for a lot of folks. What I think is true is that in those moments, that makes discernment really difficult, because we want some of those things to be true. Like desperately want those things to be true. We want that world. And when someone shows up and says, "We can make the world how it was. Don't you want to return to something better?" That plays on a lot of nostalgia, and it's, it's tricky. I'm sure we can all think of moments where someone said, can't we just go back to how it was? And that was a real and earnest prayer, a real and earnest desire of our hearts. And there's kind of a similar thing happening in Jeremiah. Um, it's actually weird. That the, the people who kind of set up a lectionary for the year pick only that section because it's missing some really important context. So let's zoom out a little bit. Jeremiah is talking to people whose temple has been ransacked and most of the leaders, most of the religious leaders, most of the big public figures have been taken to Babylon. People, the community is a little bit in shambles uh it comes after like 26 verses of god being like get act together um but that's not really what this sermon is about so just as context we're talking about a, a community in a little bit of crisis who is really deeply grieving something that they lost and in the context of that god and jeremiah have this conversation Where God is like, so here's the thing. I know the king Nebuchadnezzar is currently ruling, but what I need you to do is tell the people to hold out. He says, all the nations shall serve him, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, and his son and his grandson, until his own time comes. So there's a, this is what's happening now, and it isn't going to last forever, but may not be in the generational time frame you want. And Jeremiah turns around with that message to the people and says, tells them this and then says very specifically, do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you, saying the vessels of the Lord's house will be brought back from Babylon for they are prophesying a lie to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live Why should the city become a desolation? Jeremiah is pointing at, is speaking to a community in crisis at a moment when it feels like they are, their number is up. And what he's offering them, what God is offering them is not a quick fix. God is offering them a way through the hard time, a condition for survival. But it's not, it's going to be over, it's going to be fine. It's hope, but it's not necessarily comfort. So that's sort of the background. So Jeremiah is telling this to the people and very much in keeping with uh, prophets who tend not to really tell the people in the Hebrew Bible things they want to hear. And at the same time, up pops Hananiah, who says to all the people, in uh, verses 2 to 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, Ooh, my computer just turned off. All right. God has some opinions. Within two years, we're going to be back. Everything's going to be back. We're going to have the things back in the temple just how it was. All the people are coming home. That's what God is telling me. And that is the context in which we come to today's verse. Where Jeremiah is like, yeah, that would be amazing. But that's not gonna happen immediately. Jeremiah is challenging that thing that the people really wanna hear. Being like, we have to be patient. We have to be present. It's not just gonna get fixed like that. Uh, I have been thinking, therefore, a little bit about comfort and the difference between comfort and peace. Um, And I had a really great quote that I now can't read to you because my laptop died uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian and pastor and anti-Nazi resistor in the 1930s and 40s in Germany. And during that time, a lot of the national church went along with Hitler. It had been a really hard 20 years. They lost a war. There was a huge economic depression. And this charismatic guy shows up And there are quotes from other pastors being like, Christ is revealed in this man. Our country is going to be brought up and renewed through this man. And then there are a handful of theologians like Bonhoeffer who are like, "Mm, we don't think this is dealing with the actual problem. We don't think this is what God is calling us to. The National Church didn't super love that. Uh, They actually barred Bonhoeffer from teaching, so for a while he ran a secret seminary. He ran an underground seminary that he would run really early in the morning for students and clergy who wanted to think differently about what was going on, to ask questions about how the vision that the government and the church were laying out were or were not consistent with the gospel. Bonhoeffer spent a long time kind of preaching and, and trying to make the moral argument for this and, and eventually moved into uh, a different period of his life during which he took more direct action. He worked as a secret service for the German government, but as a double agent. So when he said he was going places to sort of check out other countries, he was often helping Jews escape from the extent of the, the German persecution. Uh, he became involved, he became increasingly involved in a plot to uh, assassinate Hitler, and at some point was arrested and spent several years in jail, during which he wrote a series of letters from prison where he wrote a lot about the disconnect between comfort and peace. A lot about the difference between wanting something easy and what it means to really struggle and push for and dream of peace. And what it means to live in the world in the model of God that God has created for us. Which is a model in which God suffered. God Bonhoeffer argues is not present with us mostly in omnipotence or in power, but rather the witness we have of Christ is of a suffering God. And the life we are therefore called to lead is not particularly one of assigning ourselves to a particular religious sect or checking a number of boxes, but rather asking, how am I present with the suffering of the world? That didn't go over super well. In 1945, a month before Germany surrendered, Bonhoeffer and six other resistors were hanged for their beliefs, for their speaking out against this idea, against what they found to be wildly inconsistent with the gospel. So I have been thinking a lot about comfort and the promises, the things we want. Like, I feel like each of you could probably think of a moment where things were really hard and I don't want to discount things being hard or the space that sometimes that little bit of like, it's gonna be okay, can take up. But when it gets bigger, when it gets communal, when it gets broad, then we find ourselves in a place like Jeremiah is, where God has been very clear that God has a plan in God's time, not as a platitude, but as a very clear, there is something that I am doing here. In Isaiah, that um, that text about, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans uh, to benefit you and not to hurt you. The verse that everybody always skips after that uh, is the one where, People are encouraged, therefore, to build houses and plant vineyards, which is rough if you're in a hard time and what God says to you is I have plans for you and part of those plans involve dealing with the now, dealing with where we are. So when I think about kind of comfort versus peace and my spouse suggested peace is perhaps more like an equilibrium, it really requires us to be constantly attenuated to the things around us. There are three things that I think comfort and kind of reaching for comfort over all else uh, robs us of. We've, it's hard, right? We've spent the last three years now, it's been three years, kind of talking, like we just talk about the before times now, don't you wish it could just be the before times? Oh, and yeah, yeah, I kind of do. And at the same time, there are all these things I learned because it's not the before times. And somebody promising me my individual desire for it to just be the before times and be fine doesn't allow me, doesn't allow us, To be real critical of what the before times were, who was not thriving in the before times. This community that Jeremiah is speaking to, they got into this place because they were a community who performed religiosity but had wild wealth disparity and did not care and did not pay attention to their neighbors and were not actually invested in their community So when Hananiah says something like, God is just going to restore it and it's going to be fine, that's not actually great for everybody. It's comforting, but it's not really peace. It's not really a vision of God's kingdom. It's just a vision of a restoration of comfort that some people had. And focusing so much on what was doesn't let us look at it critically. It also doesn't allow us to deal in the now. What is happening right now? How, what do I know now? And how could I find light or comfort or people or start to build something now with what is present? It is not perfect now. It hurts now. It is scary now. And yet, there is something about being present. There is a moment in the late 1930s when Bonhoeffer took a um, a lecturing gig in the US. He left Germany and he was here for about a month before he wrote to one of his colleagues and he said, this was a mistake. I do not think that I will be functionally credible as a voice to help rebuild the church in the future if I don't go home and struggle with my people in the now. And that was costly. It would have been much safer to pick the comfortable thing. But to be honest about what is happening now allows us to see how it may be from the past we didn't like, but also allows us to ask questions about what it is we want in the future. Uh, There was not a children's sermon, so happily I get to use this illustration now. But I grew up watching Mary Poppins. I was also not a particularly tidy child. You could send me to my room to clean it and I would 100% spend eight hours sitting on the floor reading a book and then I would just kind of shove it under my bed. And all I ever wanted was that magic that went and everything reset by itself who doesn't want that like oh i want a self-cleaning house but not in the creepy ai uh disney movie smart home kind of way and for a long time a long time that was how i thought about that like i i can't do anything about this and i wish i could just snap my fingers and it would change And what that robbed me of was the ability to ask, what needs to be different? And it was actually not until a friend of mine about three years ago, at this point, suggested to me gently that I might have ADHD. And then I started reading about that. And then I started being able to better see my realities. I began to be able to communicate differently with my spouse who had said things like, I notice that when you clean, if there's not a place to put it away, you just kind of spin. If it doesn't have a home, you don't know where it goes. And if I had just kept focusing on that, like someday, this magical someday when I will snap my fingers and everything will go back to normal, I would never have had the opportunity to sit down with my spouse and ask questions like, how does my house work How are we going through this slowly? How are we picking up everything? Is this a thing we need? Is this a thing that we love? Is it working for us? And because of that, because I didn't continue to pick the comfortable thing, which was also not great because it was my spouse doing a lot of domestic labor to clean up our house, we now live in a home where most things have a home. Where cleaning up, even when it starts to feel overwhelming, is like done in five minutes, which is constantly astonishing to me. But if I had picked comfort, when we pick comfort, whether that be in our kind of desire for a nostalgic how it was, we don't get to ask critical questions about how it was. We don't get to be curious about what we're doing now. We don't get to problem solve with each other about the now. And it limits our ability to imagine a future. But like we can look at the world in the ways that it has moved in some ways back to the before. And what I noticed during the middle of the pandemic was that suddenly my friends with physical disabilities who had had trouble getting to work were like, why, this was always available? I could always have not spent two hours waiting for the accessor ride to pick me up to take me to work. This remote was available to me. I noticed parents sometimes being like, why are my children here all the time? And sometimes being like, oh, when I don't have an hour and a half commute, when I don't have an hour each way, I have more flexibility to be present in a way that I could not have imagined was possible. Jeremiah doesn't give us a whole lot of comfort. Our text really asks us to be present in the moment, to look around ourselves and ask, what is happening now? What don't I like about it? And actually, how am I willing to be uncomfortable to shape a new future? And that isn't just a like, you and me deciding to do that, that's work that is that we're called to do within the promise of God, within the promise of a peace and a vision for the world that we can't fully comprehend. But we might be able to look at and wonder, how could we get there? And how am I willing to be uncomfortable if it means the possibility of peace for more people for the person next to me, for myself. It's not an individual thing. It's not a knock on the safety we sometimes need. But it is a call to be present in the future-facing thing that God has called us to and an awareness of our present that says, I am choosing this discomfort because I believe that God has more for us than what has been. God is not recreating the world as the world was. We worship a God who is making all things new. And if all things are being new, then don't we want a bigger imagination for what that might be? Letting go of that before time so that we can comfort each other in the present Not in a, we're going to get back to how it was, but in a, here's how we are now, and I'm looking at you, I am trying to know you now, and I am hopeful that together, even if we're uncomfortable, we could build something beautiful. May it be so. Amen.